Well, it is good to be back. I haven't been in the pulpit for three weeks, two, two Sundays, but three weeks, if you count the days in between Sundays. And it, I missed it. I'm so glad to be back. I'm glad to be uh, worshiping with you. And uh, it's, it's great to, uh, to share in the Lord's table together. It's a table of grace. I'd like to thank Pastor Eric for uh, preaching the two weeks that uh, I was off uh, on Sundays. I know that he did a, an able job. And he reminded us of how important it is to bear witness to, to the world around us, friends and acquaintances and co-workers, family members of the gospel. And this past week, I was just reminded and convicted of this as a friend of mine who is closer really to my sister and her husband, very close friends, died unexpectedly at the age of 35 with two little children. And I don't know if he knew Christ. And it just reminded me of the urgency. One of the parts of this tragedy is that this very weekend, my sister and her friends and her husband and, and their friends had planned this reunion. That's what they were supposed to be doing. Instead, they're gathered uh, at a funeral. Life is not certain day by day. The Lord alone knows. And so we must take every day and make the most of every day to, to share the good news of the gospel. We don't know how many days we have. We don't know how many days our friends and family have, our coworkers have. And so I want to thank Pastor Eric for, for that reminder, those last two Sundays. Now today, we are looking at part two of Should We Keep the Fourth Commandment? And I want to go back a third time to start us in Matthew 11, because this so, so ably summarizes where we've landed on this topic. And then we're going to look at three passages, Romans, one in Romans 14, one in uh, Galatians 4, and the other in Colossians 2. Then we will have a question and answer period uh, afterward. But just stand as we read three verses Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. You'll remember in verse 25 that Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, bringing to mind creation. Then go down to verse 28. Come to me, says Jesus, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. These are the words of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we take a look at this topic, uh, this question, really, should we keep the fourth commandment, help us to know uh, what it is that we are to do with the fourth commandment, what it is that we are to do with the Sabbath. Of course, we want to keep the fullness of your law by the grace of Christ. So Lord, give us wisdom and discernment and understanding. Help us to rightly divide the word of truth. We thank you that we find our ultimate rest in Jesus Christ and Jesus, your finished work for us that you have done the work, and now we rest in you. Lord, help me to explain this from your scriptures. I pray this in your name. Amen. 
Please be seated. Now, keeping your Bibles open to Matthew 12, you might say, well, you're pushing things a little bit, Adam, if you try to tell me that the word rest there has anything to do with the Sabbath. I don't think so, for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I mentioned it. Look at verse 25. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus, when he's about to talk about rest, prefaces it with a statement about God as creator. We know in Exodus 20, verse 11, uh, that there is a reference back to creation and the seventh day of creation in, in uh, the rationale for the Sabbath. So here we have the creation motif, and then Jesus starts talking about rest. And he uses words like labor and are heavy laden. That's what you do through days one through six. You labor and are heavy laden through days one through six. And then on day seven, you rest. Now Jesus is doing something remarkable. He says, rather than looking for your rest in a day of the week, come to me. Come to me and find deep, satisfying, eternal rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You will find rest, not just for your bodies, but for your souls. Now, you might say, well, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I see the, the creation motif. I see the rest. I see discussion about labor. Nevertheless, I'm not sure that we should connect this with the fourth commandment. Well, what I would say is just take a look down at chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, then chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. It is no coincidence that we have two passages right after this about controversies on the Sabbath. Controversy number one is when the disciples are plucking grain and Jesus is confronted about Sabbath breaking. Now, in Matthew's gospel, this comes right after. Jesus says, I am the source of your rest. Come to me for rest. And then you have uh, Jesus healing a man with a withered hand in verses 9 through 14. And you see the full restoration of bodies, not just rest for one day in seven, but that is a down payment of resurrection rest, total healing. Last thing I want to say about this before we get to our actual passages is verse 6. Jesus says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. He, right before that, is connecting Sabbath practice with temple system. If something greater than the temple is here... I would suggest that what he is also saying, especially in the broader context, starting in uh, chapter 11, verse 25, something greater than the Sabbath is here. You see, the temple is nothing except a sign pointing forward to Christ, who is the temple, and we in Christ are pillars, stones in that temple. Likewise, Something greater than the Sabbath is here. The Sabbath is nothing except a sign pointing forward to the real thing. The one in whom we find rest. Not for one day in seven, but forever and ever and ever. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. I tell you, something greater than the Sabbath is here. 
And so we rest in Christ. This brings us more or less up to speed. There's a different way of summarizing what we went through a few weeks ago when we addressed this topic. And, and what we concluded was that all of the law, there's 613 individual statutes in the Old Covenant law, all of it is fulfilled in Christ. We uphold the law. We say that the law is good, that the law is righteous, and that Jesus came and not only fulfilled the law, but he kept the law. And now we keep all of the law in Christ. That is, in the way in which he fills it up. And we looked at the way in which Jesus fills up individual laws. We don't have time to redo the sermon. If you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it. But we concluded that we, we must therefore keep the fourth commandment. But we do not keep the fourth commandment the way old covenant Israel kept the fourth commandment. We have to ask the question, how has Jesus filled up the fourth commandment? Once we answer that question, then that's how we keep the fourth commandment. And the way that Jesus filled it up was that Jesus brought about a new creation and he freed us from our slavery to sin. And we looked specifically at Exodus 20, verse 11, and Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. Verse 11 in Exodus 20 talks about how the Sabbath looks back to the seventh day of creation. And just as God rested after creating, so we rest in Christ after his recreation of humanity. He died on day six, rested on the Sabbath, and came back to life on day one to inaugurate a new creation. And so we rest in Christ who is already partaking in the new creation. And we in Christ partake already in the new creation. We rest. The work is done. When Jesus was on the cross, he says, it is finished. The work is done. Now is the time for resting. I know that that rest is not yet consummated, but we'll get to that in the Q&A if you have any questions on that. Secondly, Deuteronomy 5.15 says that the fourth commandment, that to, to rest one day in seven, is to remember weekly that God delivered you from slavery in Egypt. So we look back to that deliverance as being fulfilled in Christ. He delivers us from sin. If you have put your faith in Christ, you've been born again, you are free from sin. It is no longer your master. You are no longer its slave. You have been set free, and you rest in that freedom. And so we keep the fourth commandment simply by being united with Christ, who is already in the new creation and is our master instead of sin. Now, let's fill that out. That was all basically done with Old Testament exegesis. Exegesis, just a word that means a, a careful study of the Bible to draw the meaning out of the text rather than to read, read meaning into the text. Let's take a look at what the New Testament has to say about this. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, or 14, sorry. Romans chapter 14. I want to prepare you, the way that God inspired this passage, it can be offensive. 
just let's remember that it's the word of God that's offending and not the preacher, right? I'm, I'm going to read what the word of God says here, and then I'm going to explain it. It has to do with weakness and strength. That's where it's offensive. What do you mean I'm weak in the faith? That, that's offensive. It can be. Okay, so let's read Romans 14, 1 through 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now this is the verse that matters to us today. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he, we, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now the overriding theme of this passage is clearly freedom, right, and a lack of judgment. There are certain issues in the Christian life where we are free to choose to live in a certain way and we are free from others judging us or telling us that we can't do that. That's really important and it works both ways. Before we get to the matter of the Sabbath, we have to define weak and strong. What does it mean for someone to be weak in the faith? To be weak in the faith is to not fully understand the impact of the doctrines of the gospel on Christian living. It doesn't mean you're less saved than someone else. It doesn't mean that you believe less in Jesus than someone else. What it means is you haven't fully understood the implications of the things that you believe for how you live your life. So you're weak. And God in his mercy and grace makes concessions for the weak. Saying, what really matters is what have you done with Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he alone saves you from your sin? If so, good. Now, it takes a lifetime to work out the implications of that confession. What does that mean in the day-to-day -day living of your life? Well, someone who is weak in the faith doesn't fully understand the freedom that comes with the things that they believe. A, a, a person who is weak wants to hold on to some aspects of the shadows of the gospel which we find in the law. And what God says through Paul to the Romans is, there are certain conditions within which that is okay. We're going to talk about when that's not okay, but first let's talk about when that is okay. 
that is okay. So what does it mean then to be strong? Well, to be strong in the faith is not to be a better Christian in, in the sense of being uh, superior in salvation. It's not to be closer to Jesus. It's not to have a greater share of Jesus. We have equal share in Christ if you believe in him. No one has more or less of Christ than another in the church. But someone who is strong is someone who fully understands or more fully understands the impact of the doctrines of the gospel on Christian living. So they've actually sat down and said, well, if, if this is true, that Jesus paid it all, which we sang, what is there left for me to do? And if there's nothing left for me to do, how does that impact dietary restrictions? How does that impact Sabbath-keeping Etc., etc. Circumcision is one that gets grouped with those two all the time, as we'll see. So, the issue here is what do you do with, with things that are not necessary for salvation? Well, you extend grace to one another, you allow freedom to one another that we may practice things. And, and the strong may come alongside the weak and, and not judge them, but help them to see more and more. Well, you know, you don't really need to be doing that, but it's okay if you do. Uh, but we're never to cast judgment against one another in these gray areas. Paul then gives two examples. The first is about food, and he says, look, the weak eat only vegetables. Now, he's just given the most extreme example. Uh, basically, the eat have dietary restrictions. They say, well, I, I probably shouldn't eat uh, pork because it's an unclean animal in the Old Covenant. Well, whether you eat pork or don't eat pork is neither here nor there in salvation. So Paul says, you know, whatever. If they're not ready, if their conscience does not permit them to eat pork because to them it's unclean, then it is unclean. And it's better than, for them to obey their conscience than for you that, to force pork down their throat and inflict their conscience in the name of Christian freedom. The strong, however, we are told, have the liberty to eat anything. There's nothing unclean because the strong recognize that the old covenant legislation about clean and unclean food had nothing to do with food but was an object lesson teaching us about the categories of clean and unclean which has to do with our heart. If we, if we uh, are not regenerate in our hearts, if we haven't been given a new heart... If the, if the law hasn't been written on our heart, if our hearts have not been circumcised, if we have not been born again, then we're unclean. But when Christ died on the cross and we put our faith in him and he takes out our, our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, when he circumcises our heart, when he writes the law on our hearts, then we've been made holy. So all this food nonsense about clean and unclean, it, it was all about teaching us about the categories. The categories remain, but the food was just an object lesson, a shadow of the real thing. See, the strong know that. And so they know that they can eat pork and it's not a big deal because the object lesson is over. The lesson is over. The tutor is gone. We now have the real thing. We are heirs and sons. Others would say, well, we can't eat certain food if it's sacrificed to idols. Well, there is no such thing as any other God. And so as long as you pray and you recognize that, that there is no idol and you're not in relationship with some false demon, then you can eat whatever meat. But don't, 
force anyone to do that, if they're too weak to do that. The second example that we gather is days. Verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. That is primarily about the weekly Sabbath. One day in seven is better than the rest. Better not meaning qualitatively better, but distinct from. So there are some Christians who, who just are so in the pattern of one day in seven, and Paul says, let them carry on. He says there are others where they recognize that God set apart times and seasons and festivals in the Old Covenant to teach us about the salvation of Christ. And that the Sabbath itself, the, the weekly Sabbath, one day in seven, was an anticipatory command. What I mean by that is it anticipated the real thing. It itself is a shadow. When we fill it up, we recognize that that which look back to the first creation and freedom from slavery in Egypt, is really looking forward to new creation and freedom from slavery to sin. The new creation has come in Christ. Freedom from sin has come in Christ. Therefore, the anticipatory statute falls away and we enjoy the rest that it was longing for. That's what the strong say. Nevertheless, whether you're weak or strong in food or days... Coexist in the church and don't pass judgment on one another. Each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So I, I, let's not judge one another. Let's treat the days according to where we're at in our walk with God as we have understood the gospel and the implications of the gospel on our life. To conclude then, when it comes to the Sabbath, we have freedom to live according to our conscience. So, saints, at so sure. If you want to set apart one day in seven as distinct from the other six, go f- forward in that and do that. Saints, at so sure. If you say, all days are the same, and I'm going to rejoice in the, in, in the new creation that I am in Christ, in the freedom I have from sin in Christ, each and every day the same, go forward and do that. Let us not judge one another. There is a, a big however statement, though. So that's where we start. Freedom. Freedom. However, this freedom is annulled. It's canceled if we use this freedom to corrupt the gospel. So kids, in your, in your uh, notes, the question is, we have freedom to keep the Sabbath or not keep the Sabbath, but we do not have freedom to what? To corrupt the gospel. If our Sabbath keeping corrupts the gospel, then we are not to keep the Sabbath. And this this is really important. So what Paul says is, you are free to do whatever you want with the calendar. You are free to do whatever you want with food. And as we're going to see in the book of Galatians, you are free to do whatever you want with circumcision so long as these things do not corrupt the gospel. What do I mean corrupt the gospel? Well, let me give you some examples. And these are coming out of uh, the book of Galatians. First example of food. Paul would say, eat whatever you want. Or, don't eat whatever you want. Put some restrictions on yourself. 
But what you may not do is say that salvation requires a particular dietary system. At any point, if your self-imposed restrictions communicate to yourself and then to others that this is a necessary ingredient to the recipe of salvation, then you are to be rebuked. Because we cannot corrupt the gospel. So freedom to eat whatever you want or not to eat, unless you say you must not eat this or you will not be saved. Likewise, with special days, keep one day in seven differently than the rest. Or keep all days the same. But do not say that salvation requires the keeping of the Sabbath. So anyone who comes along and says, if you are keeping the Sabbath, you are outside of God's blessing. You are outside of the gospel. Then that person is to be rebuked. We are not to undermine the gospel by keeping one day and seven as distinct from the rest. Salvation is not Jesus plus Sabbath keeping. Salvation equals Jesus plus, and this is another thing in your notes, youth, nothing. Salvation is Jesus plus nothing. As I said, Ryan Fullerton preached this gospel powerfully on Friday. He says, the law says do, the gospel says done. It's done. Jesus paid it all. Third example in the book of Galatians, which is the primary example in the book of Galatians, is circumcision. And if you just read the book of Galatians, you might say, well, Paul doesn't really give them an opportunity to be circumcised. He says, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. It seems like what he's saying there is, if you are circumcised, then you are outside of the gospel and outside of God's blessing. That's not what he means. We know that because in Acts 16, verse 3 he has Timothy circumcised. So there would be a massive contradiction uh, in Paul if you know, he's circumcising Timothy in Acts 16.3, but in Galatians, he's saying that you must not be circumcised. No, Paul's position is, it doesn't matter. Be circumcised or don't be circumcised. If you're going to, to be... Um, uh, to bear witness to the gospel to a group of Jews, uh, and, and they would receive your testimony if you're circumcised, be circumcised. But do not, under any pretext of the gospel, say that you must be circumcised for salvation. So, circumcise your flesh, or don't circumcise your flesh, but do not say that salvation requires circumcision of the flesh. It does not. And it would be better for you not to be circumcised than for you to find pride or, or some merit before God because of your circumcision. So it's the same principle in all of these things. Uh, whether you're talking about food laws or, or Sabbath laws or if you're talking about circumcision laws, all of it. Do it or don't do it unless... You say you must do it or not do it for salvation. Salvation is in Christ alone. Open your Bible. Let's take, just take a look at this in Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4.
We're going to read uh, verse 8 through 12. He has just talked about how we have become sons of God and heirs of the inheritance, which basically is, what is the inheritance? Well, it's everything that the Father has given to God the Son. When we become sons, and sons is not a gender issue, it's a positional issue, so male, female, we're all sons in the sense of inheritance. We share, now get this, We share in the inheritance of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That is, everything that God has given to Christ, we receive as our inheritance. How? By circumcision? By Sabbath keeping? By eating certain foods? No! By the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we put our faith in Jesus Christ and the inheritance comes to us. That's what he has just said uh, above what we're about to read. Now verse 8. Formerly, now before you were a son, before you were a recipient of everything that God has to give. Now that's a lot. Before that, when you did not know God, and he's talking primarily to Gentile Christians here. You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. You worship demons in your pagan religion. Verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, let's be accurate, have been known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Now what is he talking about there? This is really important. There were Gentile Galatians who were saved out of pagan religion when Paul came through and preached the gospel. So, so Paul came along and, and he, he shared who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, that he died for our sins, he was buried, he came back to life. Put your faith in him, he will carry your sins to the grave. All you are to do is to believe in him. The work has been done by Christ. Now rest in Christ for your inheritance. If you believe, you are sons. Paul basically is saying that's, that's the gospel. Now, some Jewish Judaizers, we, we call them, from Jerusalem, these false teachers come to Galatia after Paul is there, and they, they say, yeah, Jesus is good, but you have to keep certain Jewish laws, like circumcision of the flesh, like Sabbath-keeping And once you do that, then you put your faith in Jesus, then you can be saved. Now, Paul here is saying, look, before you knew God, you were just a pagan worshiping demons. But now God knows who you are. Why would you want to go back to a system that is like the system that you were under before? And and this is hard for us to understand, and I can't explain it all today. But what he's saying is, if you keep the old covenant as a means of salvation, you are no better off than pagans worshiping demons. Now, hear me. He's not saying that the law is bad. He's not saying that the law is evil. He's not saying that the law was put up by a demon. What he's saying is its ability to save you is on par with pagan religion. That the law was always meant to drive you to Christ. Now that you have Christ, now that the law, the old covenant, has done what it was meant to do, why would you go back and do something that has no ability to save you? 
It has no ability to make you a son. It has no ability to give you the inheritance that God wants to give you. So that's what he's saying there. Now, how do we know that what he's including in there is not just circumcision, but also Sabbath keeping? Well, that's verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. And if you have the ESV, there's an exclamation point because by this point, Paul is exasperated. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Now, that's frightening. What he's saying there, that's not a throwaway line. He's saying, I, I labored to show you the truth of the gospel. And, and if you do what these Judaizers are saying and, and try to keep you, to bind you to Leviticus 23... To Exodus 20, to Deuteronomy 5, in the keeping of special days and times and seasons and years, that you don't really understand the gospel. And if you don't understand the gospel, then you're not saved. And if you're not saved, then all of my work was for nothing, and I labored in vain. It was a waste of my time. You see, can be offensive but that's that's the problem when we require sabbath keeping we undermine the gospel and then all of the work that has been done in your life through many different teachers and disciple makers and preachers and pastors and elders all of it is for nothing all of it is in vain if you require sabbath keeping for salvation. This is serious. So Romans 14, we have freedom. Keep one day and seven as distinct. So long as you recognize that you're doing that out of a gift of liberty given to you by Christ. Not because he requires it of you, but because he gives you the freedom to do it. Not because he needs that from you for your salvation. The whole book of Galatians is underpinning what the Reformation was all about and what the gospel is all about. Salvation is by grace alone, by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. Do you see anything in that that says, plus, keep the Sabbath? No. No. As I said, salvation is not Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus Sabbath keeping. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Believe and rest in Christ. If you were to continue reading here, Paul uses himself as an example. Just look at verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you. I'm pleading with you. I would come back and do anything if you would just get this. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. What is he saying there? He's like, look at my life. I don't keep the Sabbath in an old covenant way anymore. Become as I am, because now I am like the way you were. You didn't keep the Sabbath before these Judaizers came into town. And when I preached the gospel to you, I did not require you to keep the Sabbath. Now these Judaizers have come along and, and dropped Leviticus 23 on you. 
Do you think you have to do all of the, all of the things and, and keep your calendars separate the way that, that Leviticus 23 instructs you? No. Follow my example because I am the way you were. I don't keep the Sabbath anymore. I keep the fullness of the Sabbath, which is I rest as a new creature in Christ. I rest in the finished work of Christ, and I am free from sin. I rest in that. That's what Paul is saying. We see an identical argument put forward in Colossians. So this is the last of three that we'll look at today. Flip forward to Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verses 6 through 16, uh, sorry, of 17, 6 through 17, and, uh, but we're going to focus in on the last couple of verses. But as I'm reading this, I want you to hear everything that we've said. He, Paul's just repeating everything that we've talked about already, so it's not new information, but just hear it. Therefore, verse 6. Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary, elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, Paul is beginning to build his argument. And we're going to see circumcision, uh, dietary laws, and Sabbath keeping. And he says, look, look. Circumcision, yeah, that was an Old Testament, Old Covenant law. But you've been circumcised by the circumcision of Christ. What is that? On the eighth day, Christ was circumcised. Is that what it means? Partially. It does mean that Jesus kept the law on your behalf. So, so you don't have to be circumcised. We rest all of our trust, all of our hope in the fact that Jesus kept the fullness of all 613 laws. So Christ's circumcision becomes your circumcision. All of Christ's righteousness becomes your righteousness. More than that, what Paul is saying is when Jesus hung on the cross, he was cut off from God and humanity. The cross itself is a cutting off akin to circumcision. You want a circumcision to boast in? Boast that Jesus has been cut off for you. Now, that's the same logic that he's going to bring to dietary laws. It's the same logic that he's going to bring to Sabbath keeping. You've got to understand the new covenant in light of the new covenant, in light of what Christ has done. Picking up in verse 12. So, you have been circumcised by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, that's really important because this whole Sabbath keeping, we'll see it more in the Q&A maybe, but our union with Christ is an underpreached doctrine. What is true of Christ is true of us. If Christ 
was buried, we were buried with him. If Christ was raised, we were raised with him. If Christ is in the heavenly places, we are in the heavenly places with him. If Christ is already in the new creation, then we are in the new creation with him. If Christ is totally free from sin, we are totally free from sin. That, that doctrine of being united with Christ is so important and, and is, is helpful for understanding the, go, the gospel and particularly things like circumcision and Sabbath keeping. Verse 13. But you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Every sin that we have committed was nailed to the cross. What is there left for us to do? Now we get to the point for us today. Verse 16, therefore, so therefore points back to everything I just read. In light of the finished work of Christ, in light of, of the circumcision of Christ being our circumcision, in light of our union with Christ in his righteousness, his death, his resurrection, and his return, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. There's number two. We saw circumcision, now we see food and drink. Or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I mean, I don't think it can get any plainer than that. Don't let anyone judge you with regard to a Sabbath. In other words, do not let anyone tell you that you must keep the Sabbath in an old covenant kind of way. Don't, don't allow them to say such a thing. Why? Because what you must grow in knowledge of is that these things, what things? Food restrictions, circumcision, Sabbath keeping, are but a shadow. And the substance belongs to Christ. Well, what is a shadow? My shadow is right there. My shadow points to me. I'm the real thing. The shadow is just a, a, a darkened image of me. But my shadow points to me. I am the substance. These things, Sabbath keeping is a shadow. The substance belongs to Christ. The Sabbath gave us rest one day and seventh. The fullness of rest comes in Christ. Therefore, let no one judge you and tell you that you must keep the Sabbath. I, don't, I just don't think it can get any plainer with that. In conclusion then, Or sorry, there is another note for the kids. Let me just tie this up and then we'll conclude. There is a danger in seeking acceptance with God or maintaining our acceptance with God by adding to our merit with God by things that we do. It's that's where the danger of Sabbath keeping comes in. And it's subtle. It's so subtle. I keep the Sabbath, therefore, I am a righteous Christian. No! 
I am a righteous Christian because of what Jesus did on the cross, not because I keep the Sabbath. You see how subtle that is, that sleight of hand. That's the danger in Sabbath keeping. So if there's anything that we're trying to warn against is, is that what starts off as a good thing, a good impulse, I'm going to keep the Sabbath because I want to obey God, turns into a, a search for self-righteousness, self-acceptance, merit-seeking and legalism and pharisaical living gets braided into an otherwise orthodox understanding of the gospel. We have to be very careful of this. And my question, if you've seen Chariots of Fire, what was the name of, of the sprinter? Eric Little? He didn't race on the Sabbath. Was that an expression of strong in the faith or an expression of weak in the faith? Because the whole premise of the movie is that he demonstrated his strength of faith. And he's a sermon illustration in churches. Be like Eric Little, who kept the Sabbath against all odds. And look at the personal sacrifice. Now, he had freedom to do that. And, and God used it to point to the gospel. But according to what we've learned, Eric Little was weak in the faith. He had that liberty. That grace was extended to him. But he could have run to the glory of God on a Sunday. That's maybe controversial because that's a cherished movie. But that's so important for us to see because otherwise we fall into legalism and we undermine the gospel that we love. You know, Eric Little was righteous because he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not righteous because he didn't race on Sunday. So in conclusion, last week I read you the summary statement, which is just a paragraph. Today I want to read you the detailed statement. And then we're going to sing and then we're going to do a Q&A. The elders have put together this statement because we feel it's helpful to you. This is the elder's statement on the Sabbath. Throughout history, God has set certain segments of time apart as holy. These holy times, whether they be weekly Sabbaths, new moons, Levitical feasts, Sabbath years or Jubilee years, are all fulfilled and find their substance in the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Colossians 2.17. Thus, regarding the Sabbath or the Lord's Day, each person is bound by the teaching of Scripture and his or her own conscience within the framework of the Christian family. What we mean by that is Ephesians 5, 22 to 6, 4 teaches that the husband and father is the head of the family. So there's, you know, work this out as a family under the headship of the husband, the father. One person may esteem one day to be better than another, while another may esteem all days alike. The one who observes the day ought to observe it in honor of the Lord. And the one who does not observe the day ought to abstain in honor of the Lord. That's just right out of Romans 14, 5 to 12. We have freedom in Christ to recognize all days as the same. We also have freedom in Christ to set apart some days as distinct. Again, Romans 14, 1 to 7. However, and this is the... The however clause. We insist, and this would become a matter of church discipline. We insist on this. 
that those who observe special days with greater strictness are not to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which teaches that we are saved entirely by grace through faith in Christ according to the scriptures to the glory of God. In no way does the observance of a special day add to or maintain one's right standing or holiness before God. In fact, we encourage any who are so inclined toward this form of legalism to protect themselves, and it's not written here, but to protect the church, by ceasing, stopping their formal observance of days and months and seasons and years, according to Galatians 4, 8 to 12. See, that's what Paul's saying. In Romans 14, he's given them freedom because it wasn't a matter of, of salvation for the Romans. But he insists that they stop setting apart certain times, days, months, seasons, festivals, because their, their practice there was undermining the gospel. Moreover, no one who esteems one day as better than another is to pass judgment on those who do not observe a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but since Christ has come, the shadows are no longer necessary. It's Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Now lastly... We do recognize that Jesus commands his church to gather regularly to worship God. We see that in Acts 2, 42 to 47 and Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Since the earliest days, and there's much evidence to suggest since the very first week after Christ's resurrection, the church has gathered on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But this is only mentioned twice in the Bible. Acts 20, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. And even there, it's ambiguous. They're doing something on the first day of the week. In keeping with Christ's command, we expect members to regularly attend Sunday worship and other corporate gatherings of the church as part of our commitment and submission to Christ through South Shore Bible Church. We also encourage all to establish a rhythm of life that intentionally includes weekly times for rest and recreation, all to the glory of God. Now, that last paragraph is not about the Sabbath. It's about something distinct from the Sabbath, which is just this principle that we gather together to worship and remember Christ and that we take time to rest, which is just sound advice. That's the statement on the Sabbath. My, my plea to, to us as a church is that we would always be looking for the fullness of the Scriptures in Christ, whether it's Sabbath or anything else, and that we would align our lives accordingly. Be free in Christ. Find your rest in him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I pray, thank you that you have done it all. You've paid it all. You've done the work. Now you are seated in the heavenly places on the right hand of the Father. We thank you that we can find our rest in you. There's nothing left for us to do all been done. Now help us to walk by the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.